This morning, turn in your Scriptures, if you will, to Acts 18 as we continue on in our study in Acts. This morning, our sermon title is The Fruit is in the Details. And some of us are, have been oriented. God has created us to be detailed people. Some of us, not so much. Uh, you know, this morning, our passage has a bunch of information in it, but it can be maybe a little challenging to find how do I fit in this? What is it I'm going to grab from this? And so uh, that's where I kind of get a little excited. It becomes challenging for me to help you see more of what is here in between uh, the lines, the events. Not to make anything up, we don't, we don't insert something that's not here, and we don't take away from what is here. That's, that's, that's not good. Uh, but there are things that are underneath the surface that we're going to look at today that are the details. And so this morning, I start with this incredible wood bowl. I got this from my sister-in-law, uh, I think for Easter. Um, just, I, I love wood. And this is hand-carved by ancient Egyptians or something. I don't know. It, it does say made in China, though. You know. No, I, I, it's really cool looking, and, and I really like it. And every time I, I get excited about something I'm going to say that's connected to a detail this morning, I'm just going to put this little, a little coin. Actually, this is, uh, this is 10 shekels. Uh, I'm going to put 10 shekels there in, in the bowl. You know, it started out, there's nothing in there. It's not... It's just the bowl, you know, if I shake it. A lot like what happens in my brain most days is there's just silence, right? Uh, so, but, you know, great point about the wood and, and everything. So just going to go ahead and put this shekel in there. How does a church find its start? We celebrated 50 years almost two years ago when this church started. As we sojourn through the book of Acts, what we're watching, what we're witnessing is the birth of the Lord's church. And so as we look at that, the value of, of examining this and, and, and diving into it and studying it and being inspired by it is to help us as a church to know what is God's plan? What is God's purpose? How did this come about? Why are you here this morning? I'm going to do this real quickly because I love this group over here on my, on my right, your left. And this is like right in my line of sight. So I'm just going to do that. Oh, there you are, Peter. Fantastic. So this morning when we get into this idea of how does a church find its start, let me take you into a couple things. Number one, Fruit doesn't just appear. Fruit does not just appear. And, and remember the title of the sermon today, and you can use the sermon notes that are in your bulletin, is that the fruit is in the details. And, and fruit is often one of these Christianese words, right? That, that why do we talk about fruit? Let, let me change that into modern day vernacular, uh, uh, corporate uh, uh, syntax. It's the idea of success, productivity, right? Heaven 
and, and the kingdom have that same sense. God has a plan. God has desires to see His will go forth. And so the maturation of that produces success. Produces some sort of uh, measurable success. And in Scripture, Jesus calls it fruit. He uses a metaphor speaking about how He is the... the uh, the vine dresser, or he's the vine, and, and that there's fruit that comes along if we abide in him. And so this concept of fruit is so, so desperately important. How many of you have been part of something that just never succeeded? It just never lasted. You know, here's the amazing thing, is that the church has been persecuted and persecuted and persecuted. And with all of our failings, with all of our challenges because of our humanity, the church has not just survived, but it has thrived in spite of itself. And this is because of the Lord. Amen? So how do you do that? And I, you often hear me joke around a little bit that Concord Bible Church outlasted Elephant Bar. Okay? We outlasted Elephant Bar. We've outlasted a lot of other things, but I just want to, you know, I want to bring it home. I want to make it real to you. So how does a church find its start? Well, that's what you have been watching and listening and studying for the better part of a year and a half. But I'm not sure that we, because we've been stuck in the details, I'm not sure that we've understood where this is resulting or what this is resulting in. And so there's going to be this whole part of, I want you to get into the details this morning, and I want you to pull out and see the fruit. That's worth a coin. There we go. It's not a message on giving. I just want to say that. It just kind of, like in my thinking right now, like they're thinking this is, no, just everybody relax. All right. Let's look at the passage this morning, verse 18. We're going to uh, start in verse 18 and go through 28. And so... It says this, after this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers. He is in Corinth right now, and he's getting, to getting ready to leave Greece, and he wants to head back to Jerusalem and to Antioch. He's heading back and finishing up this second missionary journey. So he wants to take leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. So he met Priscilla and Aquila while in Corinth, and now they are part of this team. We talked last week about the, the need for teamwork, right? And that uh, now they're joining him. They're not just part of that team. They're saying, we're with you. We're with you. Ooh, that's worth a coin, right? If I move, how many are you going with me, right? I didn't think so. So let's just give one coin for Priscilla and one for Aquila. Good job, guys. So remember, fruit doesn't just appear. It has to be planted and cultivated with the deepest resolve towards harvest. Now that's a beautiful, pithy statement, isn't it? Yes, I know you agree, because I wrote it, and I want the affirmation. I, I thrive off affirmation. You're going to see where that statement's going at the end of the message today. I want you to remember this. It's a good statement. It's a solid statement, but it has depth and application, and that is worth Oh, this is 50 lira. That's not worth so much. Not a great point. So detail number one. Let's actually, let's, uh, 
Let's look real, real quickly to uh, uh, this quote by Samuel Brengel. I gave you one two weeks ago. Samuel Brengel was from the holiness movement, and he was recruited by William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army. Samuel Brengel was such a man of God. There was so much within him that desired God and exuded the love of God that he actually was kind of a threat to William Booth, the leader of the Salvation Army. And, and I'll, be, I'll be real with you, that that's a very real thing within churches, within the pastorate. Have you ever felt threatened in your job because of some young wonderkint that's coming up and, and knows more than you, and you know they know more than you, and you're, you're like, you're getting ready to sabotage that person, right? You know, because you don't want to lose your... That's a little bit of what's going on here. So, I have a succession plan of CJ to take over here within a year. So, <laughs> A leader whose power is recognized in heaven, earth, and hell. This is part of our vision statement. We want to be a church whose influence is recognized in heaven, in earth, and in hell. This is a quote straight, straight from Samuel Bringle. And it comes from a book that I value deeply. I've read a lot of books, folks. A lot of uh, Christian books. A lot of uh, scholarly works. And I still have not found anything that parallels this book by Oswald Sanders on spiritual leadership when it comes to leadership. And this was shown to me uh, back in my college days and uh, before cell phones, computers, electricity, all of those things. Um, it is what is termed a classic, and they've, they're, I think they're on their seventh edition, seventh printing. So I encourage you, pick it up. There's, some, there's a wealth of, of wisdom and direction and understanding when it comes to the idea of spiritual leadership. But if we look at this idea of the fruit, when we look at leadership, which we will point to today, the detail of a good leader is one that their effectiveness, Right? Not what they say they can do, not their resume, none of those things. It is, in fact, their effectiveness. What do they say about presidents? You can't really measure what they'll do or what they've done rather than what they bloviate about, but you can't really measure their legacy and their effectiveness until 5, 10, 15 years later. Now, some people want to say the same thing about uh, the warriors and the dynasty of the warriors. Um, no, that's, that one's already done. We don't have to wait. Uh, but they do say that about draft class. You know, when it comes to sports, there's not enough to talk about. And so people get, get really, really tight and, and uh, involved, overly involved in evaluating draft classes. Before they ever step on the field, they're talking about how great this player is. And the reality is this. You cannot effectively measure a draft class for 10 years. So when we talk about measuring, when we're going to measure leaders, I think Brangle's onto something here. When we're going to measure the effectiveness and the fruit of a church, Brangle's onto something here. Does your church have an influence in heaven, in earth, and in hell? And we'll, we'll finish that concept out in just a moment. So our detail number one is that the Lord establishes the plan. Let me continue on this morning in our passage. So Priscilla and Aquila have joined uh, Paul as he gets ready to set sail for Syria. 
at Centre, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. Now, who says that Scripture doesn't speak to the practical things of life? All right? So here you have just Paul getting his hair cut there at the port city of Centre um, before he goes on a journey. What's interesting in this detail, why would you include Paul getting his hair cut? Now, we have the significance of who else do you know in biblical tradition and, and narrative that got their hair cut and it had a significant impact? Samson, right? Because then, you know, he's, he's a little anemic. He hasn't had his five-hour energy. He can't do anything. Right? This is just... And Paul got his hair cut. And then they jumped on a ship and they went, you know... To, why, Luke? Here's the detail. Remember what had been happening. Remember that Paul goes into Corinth... And he's probably struggling. It doesn't say he's struggling, but he's alone again. And God brings more people into his team. And so he goes into the synagogue. He follows the plan. And then there's an eruption again. And so it says that God intervened and brought a vision to Paul saying, don't fear. Think about the power of that. Think about the timing of that. Think about the significance of that. When has God shown up to you and I when we needed to hear a particular message? Right? That's a great detail. Most of us would just skim over that. Did he cut his hair? Big deal, he cut his hair. Hang on. You're talking about a Pharisee. You're talking about a person that would have held on to Jewish tradition, which was, you know, you don't cut your hair. So the only inference we have to tie this into has some connection with taking vows. Now we don't know for sure that it was a Nazarite vow, but we know that, that Paul does something out of the ordinary. Luke takes time to make mention of it. Paul is struggling. God gives him a vision and says, keep preaching, Paul. Keep preaching. I'll protect you. You know, often in our lives, we beg God for something, don't we? We ask God to show up. And then sometimes we forget to give Him praise. I think that's what's going on here. And I think that's why, why Luke, and I have to guess to a certain extent, right? This is speculation. This is Pastor Jared telling you. It's not explicit in Scripture. But it's, it's a detail that's just kind of like, what, Luke, why are you talking about a haircut? Because it certainly would be implied that this is an extension of a vow and, a, and an effort of praise in that town where the vow was fulfilled, where he's acknowledging, you did protect me. And so Paul takes the time to do something memorable Something that is a statement of his praise towards God. We think that's the detail that's going on here. And I don't want to just pass by it. It says, so for he was under a vow. And then it says, and they came to Ephesus. Now they traveled over the Mediterranean from, from Greece. And now they're back to Asia, minor. And now they're in the town of Ephesus. It was a very large town. Okay, very central. And this was part of the plan. You'll notice that Paul in this second journey, isn't going to towns like Lystra or Iconium. He's going to the major metropolises. I mean, he's going after it. 
It's believed that one of the seven wonders of the world, uh, that, that there's a temple that was in Ephesus that no longer exists, but it, history has it accounted that one of those seven wonders of the world, this incredible temple, was in Ephesus. You don't have, you know, you don't have something of that magnitude that's built and it's done in a, in a backwater city, right? So Paul, in his strategy under God's plan, is going to the major cities to take the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that the impact of that can have its greatest effect. Detail. So he's in Ephesus. And he left them there. Who's them? Priscilla and Aquila. Wow, thanks Paul. You just took us to a different city and you left us there. Thanks a lot. Well, he didn't just leave them there. He spent time there and they connected there. Ephesus is where Timothy ends up being the pastor. Ephesus is where John and Mary, the mother of Jesus, end up at the end of their, their lives is with the church in Ephesus. There's a community that's significant here, folks. And it's started by Paul. And so he leaves Priscilla and Aquila, and it, it would certainly seem that they become instrumental in building one of the, one of the most significant churches in the, in the first and second century and the beginning of our church and, and how, in looking at how a church starts. And they came to Ephesus and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews when they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills it. Remember that, because we're going to hit that in a minute. And he set sail from Ephesus. Now he's heading back, and he lands. It says, when he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church. And this is intimating, it says, he went up. That's how they would speak about going to Jerusalem, because Jerusalem was elevated. It's like, you know, Mount Diablo is south of us. So if you're thinking, you know, if you live in, in uh, Santa Rosa, you often would say, well, I'm going to go down to San Jose for the day, right? But we wouldn't say I'm going to go down to Mount Diablo, right? You're going to say I'm going to go up Mount Diablo. Get that idea when it comes to the, when, when Paul says he landed in Caesarea and then he went up. Well, Caesarea is north of Jerusalem, and so... That's another detail that helps you understand something that may not make sense. There we go. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. So he's coming down in elevation again, goes back to the church that commissioned he and Silas for this second uh, missionary journey. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Pergia, strengthening all the disciples. Wow, so we just went from Corinth, and then we jumped over to Ephesus, and then we jumped back to Syria. He gets off the boat at Caesarea, goes up to Jerusalem, greets those guys, goes all the way up north to Antioch who commissioned him. Then he jumps again on a boat, and he goes over to Galatia and starts hitting up those churches that were established in his first missionary journey, strengthening them and equipping them. That didn't just happen in a couple weeks, folks. What Luke does is he elongates the story. It's, it's kind of like how you talk in general uh, about maybe a decade of, of work. This takes time. To establish a church takes time and it takes effort. But God establishes the plan. 
There's a great passage in Paul's message to the Philippians where it says, and, and many of you are probably familiar with its, its neighboring verse where it says, work out your salvation with what? With fear and trembling. But then it goes on to say what? It goes on to say, for it is God that wills and works in you according to his good purpose. Isn't that amazing that God has a plan? Remember last week, Paul's struggling, and God comes to him in a vision, and he says, don't stop preaching. Don't fear. I will protect you. Oh, and by the way, because I have some waiting here. I have a plan. God's plan was that he would then go to Ephesus and establish the church there. God's plan was to bring in uh, Priscilla and Aquila and Silas and Timothy. And, and on and on and on it goes. And I love this statement we see in verse 21. Right? It says, because he's getting ready to move on, and they, they say, no, 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 please stay. And he says, but on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. Wouldn't it be great if we spoke in these terms? If we thought in these terms. So number one, the Lord establishes the plan, and this is what Paul says. He has a great love for them. You see, at the end of half our passage, he's already getting ready to head back, and he does, and he goes back to those first churches from his first journey because he has a heart for these people. You ever been around the world or been somewhere unfamiliar and you make a connection with a family or an individual that you meet there? They take you into their house, they, they adopt you as part of their family. And, and you want to what? You want to go back and you want to visit. You want to spend time with them. And so this is what's happening for Paul. And he extends and keeps going. And so what's happening is the church is finding its start, but it only finds its start because the Lord is establishing the plan. The Lord is establishing the plan. And he says Paul was so locked into that plan that he would obviously in his own nature say, yes, I want to come back. I will. I will come back. I'll be back. Right? How many of us would say that versus, well, if God wills it, I'll be back. And this is one of the big adjustments we need to make in our thinking as individuals who are the church and corporately as the church. Great detail. Our focus as a church should be if God wills. Well, how do you know if God wills? How do you know if God has these choices? How many of you have had to make major choices this week? Big decisions. Simple decisions. Right? My mom used to drive around for like an hour looking for a parking spot at the mall. And she really believed that God had a particular parking spot, which would be the very first one. Not that God would have us waste an hour circling in the parking lot, and, uh, you know, she would find the spot and she'd yell, Jehovah Jireh! And I said, Jehovah ain't really involved here, Mom. <laughs> I, I don't know that in general that's, you know, God's worried about our parking spaces, but sometimes God does work th through those events. Absolutely. Part of the challenge is that we learn God's will as we move through. Amen? What do we do in the meantime? If we're saying one of the greatest details towards a church getting its start is that the Lord establishes the plan, how do we make decisions in light of that? Well, we consider Him, don't we? We consider Him. 
Are you going to start a family? Who is it that you're going to date? What about your next job? You got a job offer somewhere. What do you do? What about the details of, of parenting? What about, what about retirement? What about the schools that your kids are going to go to? And on and on and on. What about the church that you're going to be at? Some of you have experienced that with me when you come and the first day you walk through the door and uh, you were very nice. You were very nice. You were like, it was a great, great service, Pastor. You were fantastic. You look so good, Pastor. I just, I really appreciate that. And just don't stop that, but you know. But often I will pull aside somebody and I will say, well, let's just pray that God puts you where you're supposed to be. And I'll pray with those individuals. It's not about... Rarely will I even say, let's just pray if you're supposed to be here. It's where does God want you to be? His will. Are we asking the right questions in our life when it comes to this first detail that the Lord establishes the plan? What about our church mission and vision and core values? Let's run over those. Uh, oh, they're going to show up a little bit later. Got to pay, pay attention to the details. Uh, you know, when it comes to the individual life choices, our family, our career, our service, our acts of service within the church. Don't just jump into a, an area of ministry because pastor wants you to. Or because some of our leaders want you to. There's an old secret. I'm going to give away a trade secret, all right? It's if anybody has a pulse, we're going to get you involved in something, Okay? That's not how we choose to do things here at CBC. And praise God, at least 80% of our people are involved in serving the Lord and serving each other in this church, which is fantastic. That's worth a coin, right? That's a good detail. What do we got here? Oh, it's a half shekel. It was only a half shekel point. Detail number two. When we're looking at this passage, the Lord establishes leaders. Let's pick it up from where we left off. And it says this, verse 24, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the Scriptures that the Christ was Jesus." Just a fascinating understanding about the Lord establishing leaders. That it, it really is required that God is the one that establishes you and myself in our act of service. Let me, let me change this idea of leader in your mind real quick. Because often when we think leader, we're thinking of positional authority. That's counterintuitive to how God's kingdom is run. Often we'll hear scriptures that talks about how he uses the weak to humble the what? Yeah. 
the proud. He uses individuals like Gideon who says, I am the least of the least of the least. And he says, you're my guy. Over and over and over. Jesus came as a glorified king in palaces, right? No, he came and he was born in in Bethlehem. and, And others would say of him, what? Could anything good come from Nazareth? And this is how God's kingdom works. And so there's a counterintuitive process to what spiritual leadership is. And so all of a sudden, Paul has this team of Silas and Timothy and, and uh, Kokobo or uh, you know, these other guys in Corinth, I can't remember their name, and then those in Thessalonica and Berea, and now you've got Aquila and Priscilla. And, uh, and he, this team starts forming. And it's amazing because... What do you have? You have an eloquent person from Alexandria, Egypt. Can I get a shout out from my Egyptians? Okay. You were described as eloquent, and we know that to be true. Actually, that's worth a coin. Let's, let's see what we got here. Oh, what is this? This is Canadian money. Well, Canadian for Egypt. There we go. That's a detail that's worth focusing on. We have an eloquent speaker from Alexandria. We have a tent maker couple, which I'm hard pressed to find another couple that is spoken about in Scripture like Aquila and Priscilla are. This was a power team, a power couple. But what was their big thing? They were tent makers. They were tent makers. And yet, here God chooses. Aquila and Priscilla, or Priscilla and Aquila, to teach the well-learned, eloquent Alexandrians. When I say Alexandria, Egypt, there's another seventh wonder of the world that was there. What was it? Yeah, somebody said it. Say it really loud. The library. Hanny has a library card there. No overdue books. So you have a tent maker, you catch this, right? You have a tent maker couple that are going to teach the eloquent Alexandrian. How many of you are willing to let someone speak into your life with authority because they are God's chosen person? Oh, this one is a big detail. Because we do this all the time, don't we? I I, I once heard a believer say this, if I don't respect you, I'm not listening to you. So therefore, you have to earn my respect. What qualifications do you come with? Many of us would never let Aquila or Priscilla speak into our lives. And by the way, just understand that that it's not that Apollos was teaching heresy. He just had this much of the story. And so as he is sharing, and, and he is accounted for as doing a great job with what he had, Aquila and Priscilla say, you're deficient in your message. You need the whole story. So that's why they jump in, take him out for a good falafel, and school him in the ways of Jesus. Literally. Great detail. I'm gonna, that's, that's worth, ooh, this is 20 shekels. It's obvious I raided my historical bank of coins. 
They're varied in their backgrounds. You've got the eloquent person from Alexandria. You've got the tent maker couple. You have a teenager. Who's the teenager that God is raising according to his leadership? Timothy. And then you have a Pharisee. You have a former Pharisee who killed some of your very people. How qualified is he? And yet this is who God chooses as his leadership team. Just a small detail. Just a small detail. Who's qualified to lead you and to lead me? God's individual. God's individual. The person who lists the only authority as the Word of God. The person who it is obvious that the hand of God is upon their life and working through them. Not necessarily the person that is always affirming or agrees with my point of view. Amen? Ooh, this one we struggle with. All servants who are committed and unified are those that are established by the Lord. Men, I'm going to encourage you, you all need to step up and be who God's called you to be as far as a spiritual leader in your house. If you're married, Ephesians 5 talks about how Christ, who sacrificially loved and gave for the church in order that He might present the church pure and whole, this is what you need to do. When was the last time you sacrificed for your wife? When was the last time you demonstrated love in being that spiritual leadership, right? We talk about leadership. I, I, I do weddings all the time, and often you talk about this passage, and it starts with, wives, submit to your husbands. And it's like, okay, we just derailed 90% of, of the women out there. Okay? What we don't know is we're not referring to Ephesians 4.21, where it says all of us are to submit to one another out of love for Christ. So he just continues with that thought, and the first person he starts with is the wife because it is an illustration of that thought. How much did we see the submissiveness of Christ to the Father's plan? And yet the responsibility that is given here by Paul to the men of the household is to submit to the Lord and to garner a, a love and a protective and, and uh, sanctifying relationship for his wife. Boy, you just start at submission with that one. There, there is so much headiness in all of that. Some of the challenges that we have in our society and in our life has a lot to do with the lack of, of men stepping into the roles that God has created to them, and they have abdicated that. They have set it aside. It's too hard. It's too hard. Men, lead as the Lord requires you to lead you can do this and you'll see the fruit of it not just for the sake of doing it but do it because God has asked that of you so that he can work through you so he can establish fruit through your efforts the complementarian versus egalitarian view how many of you guys want to cover that right now thank you very much oh I got one hand that's good now, you know that that one hand came from that side of the room. There's about 50 people over there, so it's a safe call. Uh, what am I talking about? I'm talking about the roles of particular to what I just used those four-syllable words about. By the way, just the fact that I said those properly gets a peso. 
It's all in the details. This is a conversation we're going to have to have as a church coming up because it's dividing churches all around the United States currently. And so we just lead. We just press forth with what God is doing, but eventually it's going to be something that's going to come and, and we're going to get questions as leadership. Well, what's our view? And, and our view is simply that we're just going to follow Scripture and, and love God and love our people, but there's more important things. We've got to be about the details, don't we? When the details come up, we've got to be able to speak to the details. I'm just going to give a hint here. So let me break this down. Egalitarian view of the role of women within the church, and I'll speak to this real quickly, where this whole controversy is stemming from, is some of Paul's comments where he says, I do not allow a woman to speak in church. Oh, you don't, do you? Well, how about you, buddy? Now, I'm throwing the Bible away, and I'm going to go read a Tony Robbins book or an Oprah book. <laughs> Thank you very much, because you just rude. <laughs> There's so much behind that that I don't have time to get into right now, but that's where this controversy comes from. Who is Paul partnering with? Not just Aquila but Priscilla as well. When Luke refers to teams that are helping establish the early church, don't you want to have the right established team by the Lord? Absolutely. And so certain teams are established, they're coming out of Antioch, and at first it was, who was the, the, the dual team coming out of Antioch for the first round of missions? Now that's fascinating. I heard through that mumbling, Barnabas and Paul. And yet, do you know when they are listed in Scripture almost every time, and I'm just going to say that because last week I said I don't know of any songs that speak about prayer, and you guys did a great job. I got three responses about songs. One was a song none of you know, but it's a great song that somebody loved. And then there's a couple um, hymns that, that factor into that, which I was aware of those, but on the whole, throughout our churches, there's a lot of music being written and sung, and I just don't see songs being written about prayer. Kind of the same point here, is that there may be an instance where this is not the case. I haven't found it yet. So you're all going to jump in your scriptures, which is good. Everywhere I see Barnabas and Paul listed, they are listed as Paul and Barnabas. Now remember this little detail. This is all being written much later than when it actually happened. This is a history. This is an accounting. And when you write a history, much of the times when you're listing a group of people, you list the person that's more prominent first. Not always the case, but much of the time, especially in Jewish tradition. So much of the time when you see teams listed, it would be Paul and Barnabas. Who was the second group that went out? Starts with an S, rhymes with Midas. Titus, it starts with an S. <laughs> Silas. Yes, Silas. And you always see Paul and Silas. Three times in Scripture you see Aquila and Priscilla, but just like we see here in this chapter, in chapter 18, three times you see Priscilla and Aquila. And Paul has integrated Priscilla into his team. 
By the way, what does Scripture say Priscilla did with Apollos? She taught him. She taught him. Now, does Paul say, I do not allow a woman to speak in the congregation? Yes. Oh, well, then the argument for, an, for a complementarian, which is women are, are not able under Scripture to be uh, uh, pastors or elders, okay, that, that's been a traditional view. The egalitarian is that women have every right and are established in Scripture by the Lord to uh, fulfill any office. So now you have a situation where Priscilla and Aquila are most definitely, literally teaching Apollos, who will go on to have a tremendous ministry. Now, what does that mean in the span of everything? We don't know, but it's a great detail. So there you go. We'll get back to that. I don't have time. to. That's like a, like a three-part series right there, folks. We're going to do an inside out on it. What I want you to notice, though, is that God does use this gal, Priscilla. By the way, who's probably the most prominent woman in all of Scripture? Mary. How much is she involved in establishing the church? We have zero recorded of that in Scripture. We have... Zero recorded in Scripture as to what happens to Mary after Jesus hands her over to John. History tells us, now watch the beauty of this, where does Paul end up in Ephesus, establishes the church through this detail of God's plan. Guess who lands in Ephesus according to tradition? John and Mary. And tradition says that that's where they, they both passed away. And they were embraced by that church community. But Mary never had a prominent role that we see established either in tradition or in Scripture that she helped establish the church. And yet we do have a record of Priscilla being key in this. So the Lord establishes the leaders. Men and women can have their agendas, can have their traditions, the beauty of what happens in Scripture is that God will say who He's going to use. Amen? And so we'll figure out those other details later when we have the time. Detail three. The Lord establishes the fruit. So, verse 28 says this. And you can look at it. Actually, I did 27 and 28. But I'm just going to read 28. Actually, I'll do 27 and 28. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, which is Apollos, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. So he's got the affirmation of the other believers, yes, Apollos, you are now ready. Go over to Achaia. And not only that, we're going to give you letters. We're going to give affirmation that you should have the entitlement and, and a voice to disciple the believers in Achaia. He's come a long way. And there's fruit from the work of Priscilla and Aquila. There is fruit from Apollos' desire to learn more. Have you ever been in the position where you got it all figured out? You're the learned person, right? You're the, you're the Alexandrian. Who are these tent makers to teach me anything? And if Apollos had had that attitude, 
he never would have been established as part of the leadership in the early church. Do you see that? But no, he has a humble servant's attitude and he learns. And now he has the confirmation and affirmation of the entire church leadership, not so much to just say, hey, great job, Apollos, but they're going to say there has to be fruit now from, from this. There's the fruit of you learning the whole message of Christ. Now we're going to send you and there's going to be even more fruit, even more productivity because you're ready to minister to the body. There's a detail. Paul now has a team because of the Lord. There's your fruit. Right? How many of you have been doing something solo? And, and you've been like, I could use some help. Right? I know of two people in this room right now that they've downsized at work and you're doing the job of three people. Right? But you don't get an increase in pay. Because we're, we're, we're going to get you to do what we need done because we have that leverage over you. You know, there's a huge challenge in that aspect of life. But when you know that, that, that the Lord has established the team, He pulls away and He gives. He pulls away and He gives. There is fruit there. And so when you're carrying more of a burden than you can probably handle, God can come and provide that individual. And look at what God did for Paul's team. Same thing happens in our lives. Paul now has visited over eight different cities. Right? He's visited over eight different cities. Now, week by week, we're involved, right? What, what city was it that we were involved at in Macedonia where they went and there was a big sign on the gate? No, no, no preaching in here. You can't do it. There was no synagogue and so they went down to the river and preached and saw Lydia come into faith and saw a church established there. What church was that? Does anybody remember? Philippi. So now you got a church at Philippi. Now you got a church at Berea. Now you got a church at Lystra. Now you got a church at. But we've been looking at the details, haven't we? And week by week, we've been watching how God establishes all of this in the details. And there's great value in that because, folks, you and I live in the details. It's just understanding how the details lead up to the fruit. Because if we're just doing for the sake of doing, we are what? We are wasting time. We're going to burn out. But Paul and his team weren't just doing for the sake of doing. There was fruit. And as we've been going week by week, we've been looking at the individual passages and seeing, oh, God established this church in Corinth. Oh, God now established a church in Ephesus. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. And now there's this new community in Ephesus that God has established and brought together over eight different cities and established churches because of the Lord. Paul sees the fruit of God's will and, Paul, and God's leadership established through his team. There's no greater joy, in my opinion, than for a servant of the Lord to see the fruit of God. And what is God doing here at our facility? I've been praying because we're in a new season. And the Lord is, is giving us a time now where we're going to be able to have unlimited access to be able to do ministries. And so... In conversations this past week, I've had people challenge me about that. I've had individuals be very aggressive towards me saying, I don't see any buildings going up. 
What is it that's happening that's so important at this church? And so as I have conversations with individuals and just saying, look, God's working. God's establishing His plan. God is establishing new leaders. And there is fruit. I got a call last night from an individual of our church that's already started reaching out to moms with small children. And they meet, I don't know if on a weekly basis, but they meet often for a time of encouragement and a time for their children to play together and a community of believers. And yet they have to go somewhere else in the city and they can't meet on our own property during the week. And so they called me last night and said, hey, uh, pastor, how would you feel if every week we had a group of our ladies that brought their kids and played on the playground and had a time of encouragement for a couple hours together. I'm just going to throw the rest of my money in on that little small detail. Folks, that's just one thing. We're hosting a national conference for the Free Church in November that we couldn't do before. And it goes on and on and on. All these little details. What is God doing? You know, here's the amazing thing, and I want to give you three points here to finish up. Fruit doesn't just appear. It has to be planted and cultivated with the deepest resolve towards harvest. The details don't count for anything if you can't see the end result. But when you look at the end result, let's not forget to, like Paul, cut our hair and take a vow in the sense of giving up an offering of praise to God who has established the plan, who has established the leaders. Amen? Because it's the rejoicing of working through and struggling through all those details. And then you turn around and all of a sudden there's a great and glorious opportunity and fruit. Today after service, I implore all of you to stop whatever you have planned unless it's to go see the fruit of Jessica getting baptized in our backyard right after service. Now I got a lot of details. I had to heat the, the pool. I had to clean the pool. I had to make sure our bathrooms are ready for you guys. I'm going to have to make sure my dog is locked up. I'm going to have to you know, go through all of these details. I've got to make sure I've got the certificate for Jess and we've got sound out there and I'm going to have to make sure I actually bring her back up from the water and that's an important detail. But you know what? The rejoicing that's going to happen when she comes out of the water is a rejoicing for the work that God started in her life a long time ago. Right? Details. There's a beauty of the details. That beauty is the fruit. The fruit that happens. So my comment to that is the church doesn't just appear. It has to be planted and cultivated with the deepest resolve towards harvest. Here's some key questions to ponder. Number one, what is God's plan for you? Well, the Scripture will give a general plan for, for you. Pursuing God, He'll give you the general plan here. Now, part of the reality is you can take all these things that we've seen happen for Paul and his team, and it's the understanding that sometimes God will speak to you, right? I don't want you to go up to Lystra. I don't want you to go to Iconium. He gives them the vision of the Macedonian man. I want something new for you. And maybe God works that way. Maybe he works through some people giving you new encouragement. Maybe it's through your constant study in the Scriptures and your pursuit of him. Maybe it's through prayer and the focus of of interacting with the Lord and growing spiritually. But the details are your day-in, day-out pursuit of God and your willingness to adopt His plan, not your own plan. 
and to say your will, not my will. And those details, in effect, will suddenly you'll turn around and there's fruit. There's fruit. What is God's plan for you? Two, what part of growing his church are you helping with? Right now, I've got three people right back there that are key in making this service happen. Who did you all get greeted by today when you walked in at the kiosk? Christy, fantastic. See, Christy, they all still came in here because you were at the, they, you were at the kiosk. We have individuals that have ministered throughout the week to different people come alongside, prayed for. We have a prayer chain, and on and on it goes. Alan was teaching in our adult class this morning. Tremendous stuff. On and on and on it goes. What part of growing his church are you helping with? Don't just jump into something because you're asked or because you just kind of go, right? Prayerfully pursue what God would have you do to grow to produce fruit. Third, what fruit are you able to see from the Lord's working through you? That's so desperately important. Brothers and sisters, if you're not seeing fruit from what God's plan is for your life, you need to go back and examine the plan. Does that make sense? Right? Just like anything in life. If I'm feeding my kids Fruit Loops nonstop, and they're just picking up knives and going after each other and small animals... There might be a connection to that, right? And so I got to go back and I got to evaluate. Now you guys have this mental image of my children doing this. Don't, don't do that. But you've got to have an evaluation of what is happening as a result of all the details. What fruit are you able to see? Here's your application today. Take notice of how details form the bigger picture. All right? Number two, take notice of how there is a need and humbly serve in that need. Three, take notice of how extraordinary happens in the details. Now, that might not sound grammatically correct, but I'm emphasizing extraordinary not as the modifier, but as a subject. I love focusing on extraordinary as the subject. Because that life with God is extraordinary. And I think many of us in the church are missing that because we're not operating if God wills it, right? Or we're not seeking what servant leadership is all about. And a lot of churches are anemic because of that. It's my pleasure to say this is not an anemic church. It's one that isn't perfect, but it's not anemic. And so this morning, remember... This beautiful bowl was very beautiful, just like most churches are beautiful, but this bowl sounds a lot different now. Right? You don't get that sound without the details. You don't get the fruit without the details. So I encourage you, evaluate your church, evaluate yourself spiritually before the Lord, and ask, is there fruit to what is happening? Because what we see out of Acts 18 is fruit. We see if things are under God's plan, under God's leadership, you can see fruit all over. And it begins to fill and it begins to fill. 
how did we get all of these churches that are listed in the New Testament? Because God had a plan and men were faithful to follow that plan at great cost. But men were faithful to follow that plan. Let me close our time in study this morning in prayer and then we'll continue in worship this morning in praise to the Lord about all that He has been doing. Let's pray. Father, we come to You with a a deeper understanding of a passage that seemingly is just filled with moving from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And yet, when we look at the details within this passage, there is much that we can learn, much that we can see about how churches were established and how our church will be established. Father, we come to You today to say thank You in that we exalt You. We metaphorically uh, cut our hair as a sense of praise to all that You are doing. Continue to work within our midst today. To You be all glory. Amen.